You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today... It is was game day. Lots to talk about from Pacers Clippers where the Pacers give up a bunch of points. 139, lose in L.A., lose another close one. We've all heard that story a million times this season. And yet it was still kind of like the ideal loss for the 2021-22 Indiana Pacers at this stage of their season. And big Goga game. We're going to talk more about Goga as usual in the young guys. Any of the young guys popping deserves attention at this stage of, uh, of the season. I mean, the Pacers are now... 15 and 29 it is time to talk about young guys as much as possible and then let's talk about miles turner at the end his injury more specifically what it could be what it means how it relates to trade deadline stuff and how it related to this specific game really so lots to get to today let's start with of course the game if you've listened to lockdown pacers before this is a basketball podcast we're going to talk about the basketball games pacers lose again in la to the clippers 139 133 is the final score you could make two arguments here. One is that that score is pretty reflective of the game, and one that is not. I would be a guy who says it was not reflective of the game. Pacers had a miserable first and third quarters and great second and fourth quarters. They were pretty close at the end of this game, like within four. But in general, it never really felt like the Clippers were going to give this one up. The closest it got was three, 130 to 133, but Pacers never got the ball down by one possession. It was all L.A. for most of the game. Their offense was ridiculous, scoring 139 in this game. Some of it was some of the worst perimeter defense the Pacers have played all season. They could not keep anybody in front of them. Reggie Jackson was slicing his way into the lane with ease. So was Amir Coffey. I mean, all these guys in the Clippers had no trouble getting where they wanted to go. And the Clippers were just sharing it really well. 32 assists, but no one on their team had more than seven that we saw from Coffey in this game. They were just whipping it around. But they, everybody on their team is pretty good. At, you know, Despite having a bunch of limited players or slower guys, the Clippers have a lot of guys who can put the ball on the floor and kind of get into the paint at like a credible enough level that bad rotating defenses or a team that isn't very well connected on that end of the floor can really be punished by their drive and kick strategy. And the Clippers were all over that tonight. They got a bunch of wide open corner threes. They had 18 to 36 from deep. Nick Batum alone had seven of them. He had a season high 32 points. Reggie Jackson had 26 in this game. You know, Marcus Morris hit 60% from deep. Amir Coffey hit 50% from deep. Terrence Mann hit two for three from deep. Clippers were just knocking them down all night, mostly Batum, but the Clippers in general were. That's where the Pacers lost this game. They could not stop L.A. at all. The best Pacers defensive quarter in the entire game was 28 in the second, and that wasn't – it's not even that good of a quarter, right? It's just they had no chance of stopping anybody, which is a shame because on the other end of the floor, the Pacers actually played – a pretty solid game for once, right? They scored a 133, uh, one of their highest scoring outputs of the season, non-counting overtime games. It might even be their highest. I can't get it off the top of my head. They shot incredibly well from inside the arc, 39% from deep, Got did well at the free throw line, didn't turn it over too much, only 12, right? They had 15 offensive rebounds, the Pacers did. They, they actually played the possession game pretty well in this game and shot okay. In general, 133 will get you a win. Their defense was just that bad. In this game, it was probably their worst defensive performance of the season, if not in the bottom three. I mean, some of the makes the Clippers had in the first quarter were certainly ridiculous. You know, down the stretch when the, the Clippers were lighting the Pacers up at the end. Yeah, it was it was bad defense and open shots. Early in the game, the Clippers were just hitting some toughies. 
But yeah, it, it was the probably the Pacers' worst defensive performance of the season, which is a shame because it ruined 18 points from Justin Holiday. It's very rare they lose when he hits five threes. Savonis had 19, 11, and seven. You know, he was controlling in the paint for a lot of the game. The Clippers' rotating center group couldn't really defend him very well. Levert had an efficient 26. Dwayne Washington even contributed 10. Right, they got a lot from those guys off the bench. Huge Duarte game. He, this was one of his best games of the season and his best game. In a while, by a mile, he's been in a little slump. 24-7-6 for Duarte. Three steals as well. Shoots 10 for 14 on his way to 24 points. He was one of, if not the Pacers' best players in this game. He was ridiculously good. They still lost despite that performance. Brissett had 13 points on 10 shots. Goga Batadze had a career-high 17. If you told me all these numbers before the game, I would have said there's no way the Pacers lose. But they did. Their defense was just completely completely awful the starters in particular i mean that unit was terrible one of tory craig's worst defensive games of the season right he he shot he only shot three times but tory craig shot 60 something percent had two assists uh two fouls no turnovers four points minus 22 right they just got smoked in his minutes it was one of his worst defensive games of the season including a completely terrible botched switch on an inbounds play when they were down three and had a chance ish in this game reggie jackson came around to screen and tory Craig did the worst sort of routing to chase him ever. And if it looked like maybe he thought a switch was coming, but even then he was terribly out of position to, to defend anyone on a switch. He just got very confused. Reggie Jackson scored easily and put the Clippers up five. That was game over. It was a really bad game from Torrey Craig. And that just kind of exemplifies their defense. One of their usual best defenders and a guy who started with Miles Turner out just completely useless in this game because the bench was pretty good. The bench defense wasn't like spectacular or anything. But the Pacers bench was pretty good. This is a rare one where the starters and the bench were flipped like usual for the Pacers. But Duarte was excellent. He was showing some connectivity with guys like Brissett and Batadze. You know, Lance had five assists. He didn't shoot the ball very well, but at least, you know, he he was the backup point guard, right? They they started Karras at the one and they played Lance way more than Keith for Sykes. Only played three minutes in the first half of this game. Lance has overtaken Keith for Sykes as the backup point guard, which for those keeping track at home, if the Pacers need to open a roster spot for a trade, that is in fact noteworthy to know. Uh, at this stage of time, Lance is ahead of Sykes in the rotation, but he was doing well with five assists. Goga obviously hit seven of his nine shots. Like the second unit had no trouble creating efficient shots. Their defense was at least tolerable compared to the to the starters, but nothing was really good for the Pacers in this game. They were really missing miles, right? They were really missing miles. It's it's pretty reductive sometimes. I feel like from fans when you know they just go oh, one thirty nine for the Clippers that they, they, they were definitely missing miles in this game. Yeah, I'm receptive to that being lazy for sure. And the Clippers only had 42 points in the paint in this game, but they're not they're not really a good paint scoring team in general. They more did well from three, but still it's the deterrence of drives or the you know, we talk about this stuff all the time when we talk about the Pacers. It's like it's not even necessarily that guys finish worse around the rim and that's it. It's like they they think twice about drives or their pick and rolls are harder to do because Turner's in a better defensive position than other bigs are typically. Like it just it kind of changes the way the offense is run for the other team in general on a lot of very common and simple actions. So when he's not out there for the Pacers, it makes things harder on defense beyond just stopping stuff in the paint in the Clippers, by the way, 42 points in the paint. still, like I said earlier, but they were really missing miles in this game. That was very obvious. I will definitely be talking about him later. So yeah, it was, it was a tough loss for the Pacers, another close one, but really this was kind of, you know, the ideal game for the Pacers. I'm, I'm pretty clearly on the record as not being a fan of the concept of tanking, uh, I think it's stupid that a professional sports league has a system set up where losing is incentivized. That said, given what the NBA ecosystem is 
and the Pacers are 14 and 29. Sorry, let me say that a little slower so everybody can hear. The Pacers are 15 and 29. This is the ideal game for a team like them. They lost, it was fun, and their young guys that played were all great. Sabonis was pretty good. He's only 25. Dwayne Washington was good. He's young. Karis LeVert's only 27. He was great. Duarte was great. O'Shea was great. Goga was great. Like those are the guys you want to see play well. And in a loss, I mean that you know th- this team still wants to win. They still want to push and see if they can reach their potential. It's pretty far into the season to, to see any drastic turnaround happen. So the Pacers don't like losing, and and you know that certainly matters for morale purposes and guiding the ship in the right direction. Sure, but from from a fan perspective and from how the NBA dictates, a team that is fifteen and twenty nine should see results go. This was basically the ideal game. The young guys who will be you know, potentially part of the next good Pacers team or the next iteration of whatever the roster is played well. And some other guys even who might be on the trading block played well, and they still lost. It was kind of the ideal for a lot of fans game this season. So, yeah, Pacers lose. They'll shrug it off. They played good offense and a horrible defense. They can clean it up for the Lakers on Wednesday. And no one, you know, you whatever it is about the Lakers, Russ has been terrible, whatever, Everyone in the NBA, no matter what team they're on, plays their absolute hardest against the Lakers in Crypto Arena or Staples Center, whatever you call it. Everyone will get up for that game. So the Patriots will be playing at their best, whatever that is right now for that game, depending on who's available. We'll talk about that when the time comes. But for now, I want to pivot to talk about Goga Batadze's big night. It's rare I get to talk about Goga this much, but he deserves it after a career game and kind of what this means for him and, and the Pacers in the trade ecosystem going forward. But first... Let's talk about the good folks over at Prize Picks because Prize Picks is making the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. And for a limited time, they have an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of their users that come from us. They get $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point, but you must use the code NBA when you sign up. Exclusive offer for lockdown fans who use the code NBA. Prize Picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players. They offer any prop you can think of, points, assists, rebounds, threes made, whatever. You pick two to five players. You pick an over-under on their projections. You can win up to 10 times your deposit on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. You've got to check it out. Go to prizepicks.com today. Download the app, whatever. Just try it out. And all users at Deposit and use our promo code NBA will get a $50, $50 for free. If your first prize picks entry scores a single point, prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. Thank you for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every day. For your second listen, why don't you go check out Lockdown Clippers, hear what's going on in their land as they win without PG and Kawhi. Let's talk about Goga Batadze and the game he just had for the Pacers. 17 points for him. That is a career high on only nine shots he was finishing extremely well around the basket. And a lot of times when he has big scoring nights, he'll be like three for ten with like six offensive rebounds, and he cleans up his own misses a lot. He had five offensive rebounds tonight, and he only missed twice, right? He is a good offensive rebounder. That's one of his better skills. It always has been since he had entered the NBA. I've always been higher on Goga than it seems like the consensus about his play is. These kind of games show why, right? He was good on the class. His defense was effective. He had two blocks. He barely fouled. He finished well. He had two assists, right? He hit a three. I've always been high on his three-point percentage, mostly from his overseas play, but also with Fort Wayne, he shot well from three. Didn't has not in the NBA. Like it's not a skill for him yet, and I will admit that. Even though it looks like it's going to go in every time he shoots it, made a three in this game. Played very, very well. This is kind of what I think. I'm, I'm not 17 points every time he plays. Kind of good, but this is kind of the, the guy he seems like he should be 
every time he plays to me, like just based off of what we've seen from him in the G League and his flashes in the NBA, like he can be a good dive guy who can finish around the rim. He's got some range. His defense in particular seems like a skill he should be able to rely on every time he plays. And this game really showed it. You know, he's a plus 17, plus 17 in a loss, by the way, for a reason. Like he he can contribute and he's got a solid role. And in the fourth quarter of this game, when he was in for a lot of the his plus, the Pacers were playing zone, but his length on the wing was really impressive. Like he didn't have to guard anyone in ISO or anything like that necessarily, but his defense was good, stretched out a little bit for a few possessions in that, in that stint, right? This was a really good game for him. Everything that he has either struggled with or has been good at, it doesn't matter. He put it all together for a night for the first time really in a while. I mean, a career high in points obviously suggests you put it together, but he doesn't play much this year for the Pacers. And when he does, it's you know either garbage time or just spot minutes because someone's in foul trouble, right? He, he hasn't had extended run for a while. So to get 24-30 of playing time, and he always says he plays better when he knows he's going to get minutes because he can stay a little more mentally prepared and more physically prepared. And sure, the best players are the the key role guys uh, have the knack of being ready when they're called on, even when they don't play every game. And Goga's still learning that. You know, he was a stud overseas, and all of a sudden he's not playing when he comes to the NBA. Like, I, I'm sympathetic to that being something he's bad at, but it's certainly fascinating that in a game like this, he knows he's playing. He comes in. He knows the game plan. He plays really well. He sets up his teammates. He scores really well. His his effectiveness on the glass was there, especially in the offensive glass. It was just a, a solid game for him. So this is the kind of thing Goga has to do every time he plays to me. Like, I, I, again, I am receptive to the whole it's harder to play when you don't know you're going to play thing. Like, yeah, I get it. But he got to be better in those moments if he wants a future on this specific team, the team that drafted him. I don't know what his future holds in particular, but – I mean, it, it's January 18th, at least for you listening. It could be later than that. And the trade deadline is no secretly 23 days away now, 22, I, whatever, who cares? It's very soon. And Goga is either going to be, you know, the, the, he could be a useful asset in an upgrade trade. He could end up being the backup center if a center is dealt. Either way, his career could be headed towards a significant change in like three weeks. And so, Having a game like this at this time to improve his confidence in himself, to improve Rick Carlisle's confidence in him, to improve his perception around the league, this could not have come at a better time for this guy. And I just to the point that he plays better when he knows he's going to get minutes and he knows what his role is going to be on a given night instead of just, hey, Turner's in foul trouble, we need you to play, get in there, right? When he plays 10 minutes or more this season, this was the seventh time that's happened, first of all, this guy was the 18th pick in the draft, and this was the seventh time in his third season that he played more than 10 minutes in a game. Yikes. And it's not even necessarily his fault because he is at least effective-ish in those minutes. Yeah, he should be better for a guy you picked 18th. You'd like him to be better, I think, is actually what I mean to say there. But he's not bad. Like He is a rotation-level player. Positive plus-minus in four of those seven games when he plays more than 10 minutes, right? So they're not getting killed by a guy that, doesn't get a lot of playing time. Seven points per game, four point three rebounds per game in those seven in those seven games where he plays more than ten minutes. Not gaudy stats necessarily, but useful enough stats for a backup center. He's only played more than twenty minutes before this Clippers game one time this season. So to put it into context, he's basically playing like fifteen minutes per game when you hear those seven and five numbers. Like that's that's fine for a backup center who plays pretty solid defense. His block numbers are going to get three blocks twice this season playing about 16 minutes. Like he is, he is effective when he knows how much he's going to play. I think that matters to him more. So I think Goga's just like one. I've said this before on the show and I don't want to beat a dead horse and do the same segment twice in a row. There's always evolving circumstances 
that makes stuff useful over various months. But I have been of the opinion for a long time now, even dating back to last season, the Heat, they should play Goga every game. I don't know how they do it, but I think Rick Carlisle like has to find a way to play Goga every game, not just because they picked him 18th. That's just sunk cost reasoning. Don't do it because of that. He actually is good. You have to develop this guy eventually. It's not like you can just assume Turner Sabonis is going to be your front court forever. And some of it is a little sunk cost stuff. You drafted him. You've developed him. You know him better than any team in the league. If you think he's going to be a guy who can give you rotation minutes every game, you have to do it eventually. You can't just say, okay, we, we made our trades. It's time for you to play. You know, Figuring out his value specifically, even if he doesn't play well, knowing that he's not going to be good enough to be your backup center of the future is valuable information. You have Isaiah Jackson on your roster too. You you would like to know as soon as possible how you're going to be able to use him going forward. You know, but Todd still has two years left on his deal. Perhaps if you realize early enough that he's not the guy, you can go to Isaiah sooner. There's all just a lot of reasons to play Goga. And this game, the reason was he was good. And when he's good, he should play. I don't think that takes rocket science. I've been of the mind that he should be playing. I mean, they have just find five minutes for him every night. They found five, three minutes for Kiefer Sykes in this game who did nothing. I mean, he had zeros on every stat basically, right? And some of that's that they think Lance should be the backup point guard now. Like, I'm receptive to that. But they found a way to get Kiefer Sykes a few minutes. It caused no harm to anyone. It did not damage the rotation. It was not weird. It was not out of place. The lineup wasn't bad that he was in for, right? They played it even for three minutes with a guy who barely played in this game. I don't get why they can't do that for any player. Five minutes sounds like nothing, but if Goga knows he's playing for those five minutes and he's mentally prepared and he's ready and you know maybe he plays well and you can up it to six or seven and someone's annoyed they're playing less, but if he's playing well, who cares? Whatever, the, you get what I'm saying from a strategy standpoint. They have to try. They have to try to know what they have with this guy and see how their development is going, especially with the trade deadline coming up. I mean, it's very important to know what he is, what he can be, and what his value should be to their team with the trade deadline in basically three weeks. I mean, all the information they can get for a guy who potentially could be dealt. I'm not saying he will or won't. I don't know anything necessarily regarding him, but it just naturally makes sense that a guy who's young and buried in your rotation could be a trade piece or a guy who could slide up to a bigger role. Like Goga, just obviously a guy to watch at the deadline in general. Having a game like this makes it even more interesting, especially with Turner potentially out for a while, to see how Goga plays in the coming weeks. If he continues to have nights like this, oh man, the deadline's going to be very interesting with kind of how the heat around him pops up and what he could be and what what his role could be or if he doesn't play as well, if, if he could be a potential move candidate. I mean, he's just definitely got to watch the next three weeks is this Turner foot injury is a thing that lingers around the team. So this game was just step one. I mean, I think... Obviously, him having a career game is going to merit a full segment on the show. But I, I think in general, he's a guy that is worth monitoring going forward. And we'll talk more about the trade deadline and trades tomorrow as trade season is officially fully among us. But I just brought it up. Goga played a lot because Miles Turner is injured. It's time to talk about this Turner injury. Honestly, I should have done it Monday because we found out at practice Sunday. But I wanted to do the anniversary of the trade first. And I really enjoyed that episode with Adam. If you want to live back the Victor Oladipo for Karis LeVert trade, where that stands now. If that was still the right move for the Pacers, go back to yesterday's show. But let's talk about Miles Turner. But first, guys, let's talk about the good folks over at betonline.ag who would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march through the playoffs and beyond NFL playoffs in full swing. It's been very fun, and BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action of 2022. It's a new year, and they have a new updated desktop and mobile website where you can sign up today and receive your 
50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on, all one word, to get started. Football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC. Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. Bet Online is where the game starts. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every single day. Let's talk about Miles Turner. I should have talked about this yesterday. Miles Turner did not play against the Clippers. Miles Turner has a sore foot. Yikes, first of all. If you're a Pacers fan hearing sore foot, red flags everywhere. TJ Warren's sore foot has been going on for forever. Domantas Savonis missed the entire bubble with the sore foot. Feet are bad. Feet injuries are bad. Apparently, this is something that's been bothering Turner for a little bit now. Uh, in the last couple games, is something that Carlisle said, which is fascinating to hear because Turner has really been struggling. And that's kind of the first thing, well, that shouldn't have been, but that was the first thing my brain went to when Carlisle said that was, wow, that's interesting to hear because he has been really, really struggling. I mean, he's played – he's only played 30 minutes or more three times in seven games since 2022 started, and some of those were questionable minutes decisions to be completely clear. I mean, Carlisle did not turn to him in the fourth quarter of some close losses that drew some ire from fans because defense has been terrible in the clutch for this team all season, and I'm receptive to that. But either way – Carlisle didn't go to him for an obvious reason. That's that he's been shooting terrible. This is just in the year 2022. This is not a huge sample. But Turner has been shooting horribly. Seven games in 2022, he's shooting 41% from the field, 12.5% from three. 12.5. 9.7 points per game, 5.9 rebounds per game. Blocks are still there, but every other stat is down, basically. Minus 10 points per game with him on the floor in those seven games. It has not been a good stretch for Turner at all. Uh, you know, even I, as a guy who is higher on Turner than most of the fan base, will admit he's played very terribly right now. And first of all, the trade deadline's coming right up. Yikes. He could be a guy on the move. You never want to see that. The, the This ain't Pete Tweedy's obviously got some sort of frustrations about either how he is being used or how this, he says it's because of how this team is playing. And I, I'll give him credit. That was a good diplomatic answer. I don't know if that's a hundred percent the truth for him, whatever. He was not playing well, and if this foot thing truly had been going on for a few games, then yeah, that's a—it's not an excuse. You know, if you're going to play, you should be playing well. Uh, and if something's bothering you, then either you shouldn't play, or you shouldn't try to be the same guy. You should just play to whatever. You get what I'm saying? He was bad, whatever the reasoning was, but it, it could justify, or at least make it make a little more sense why he was struggling so much. I mean. He's had bad stretches in his career, to be fair. Like, he's always a very, like, up for a couple months, down for a couple months kind of player. But this even, I mean, he had hit three threes in seven games. was a low stretch for him. So, first of all, the foot injury, the first thing that popped in my head was, wow, perhaps if it's been bugging him for a while, that's why this could have started. This is pretty bad timing for the Pacers to me. I mean, the trade deadline's coming right up, and he could be a guy that they, I mean, they went to him, like, the first three possessions of the game against the Suns. He scored on one, got fouled on another, and missed another doesn't matter what the results were. Like, they're 15-29. It doesn't necessarily matter if they tweak a few possessions and end up losing. If they feature the guy and he looks good and his trade value goes up, that's almost more important at this stage. I don't want to say the Pacers should not be trying to win at all. They should be trying to win every game. I think that's the purpose of professional sports. I understand that that's not what everybody else thinks. Whatever. doesn't matter. Again, I'm ranting too much about nonsense. Turner being featured could have been important in these next couple months with the trade deadline coming up and not having him not only for this road trip where there's some key games and 
against some marquee opponents where you get the eyes on that player, right? They just played LA, they play LA again, they play the former team in the finals in Phoenix, right? They, they, it's that kind of week. That's a, a big bummer uh, for, for the Pacers in general. Not having him on the court's obviously a big bummer. They got smoked on defense in his first game out. And again, it's not like the rim protection was the reason they got killed everywhere tonight. But I, like I said in the first segment, he definitely was a factor. Him not being out there was definitely a factor in the struggles on defense. The timing's just not good for the Pacers. And the second opinion he's getting in LA, Scott Agnes reported that, could be pivotal to know what the Pacers' options are in the next couple weeks, months, whatever. Hopefully for them it's not too bad. And um, the only amount of intel I can give here is that at practice on Sunday when we were there and we learned Turner had this foot thing and didn't wasn't able to go through all of practice and was getting this other opinion, whatever, we could see him in the weight room working out you know, in his basketball shoes, no boots, no, no walking aids or anything like that, right? So I did see him and he looked – you know, there wasn't any noticeable like limp or anything like that. So perhaps just a pain thing at this point. And he's just getting those opinions and getting scans and all that. Whatever the reason is, it stinks that he's out. And hopefully it's not something severe because that could drastically change what the Pacers do in the next couple weeks with the deadline coming up. I mean, it could be a big deal if it's, a, it's something severe that could keep him out for a while. So ideally for the Pacers, it's just some sort of soreness that goes away soon. And he can get back on the floor either to play well and be on this Pacers team going forward or to be featured in time for for the deadline. But, yeah, I mean, I think the timing sucks, and it, it's a good logical explanation for some of his struggles. Um, so we'll see what happens in the next couple of days. They, they play LA, the other L.A., I should say, on Wednesday, so I have no idea when his, um, his scan was scheduled. It could have been Monday on the game day, which is possible because they played really early. It was a matinee 12:30 game for MLK day and they flew in the day before. So it's possible that it was on the Monday and we'll find out Tuesday or Wednesday what the result of that was or, or something like that. TBD on all that information, but they, they play LA, the other LA again, like I said on Wednesday and they're there for a little stint of time. So the scan could be in any number of days from now. And I would not expect him, you know, since we have no status of him or anything like that to play uh, against the Lakers, it's pos- it's very possible. I'm not saying yes or no either way, but you know they declared him out a full day earlier for the Clippers game. It's not just something that you just pop back in, you're ready to go, no problem. Goga played well. There's no point of. I mean, there is a point of rushing it. Like I said, featuring him is nice, but like if he's not 100 percent and he's playing bad, that's detrimental, right? If he sits out on one more game, it's not a big deal. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what the second scan reveals. I think that is very like like Goga's play. Turner's injury is another huge storyline to watch in the coming weeks. I mean, it, it, for a sunken season for this team, that, that that's that's trajectory changing if it's a really big deal kind of foot injury. And they, they've been going through this with TJ Warren for forever. So we'll see what happens. It's worth monitoring. I'll cover it more on the show as everything updates. But I, they just saw his – they saw not having him the impact it can have so fast. And it's he's such an important player in the next couple of weeks given – you know, how he's been talking this season and the stuff he has said publicly and the performances he's had and not had this season and the way him and Sabonis have been linked or not linked in trades for forever and ever and ever. I mean, this is, this is a big season for him. This was a big stretch of time for him. I mean, this is literally one day after every player in the league can be traded. So we'll see where this goes. We'll see how this affects the Pacers. We'll see how this affects Turner. Uh, and I think we'll know more. Once the second opinion comes, I mean, as usual, you can't really make any sort of assessment without all the information, but I think this was a good time for it after this Clippers game went the way it did. Thank you all a ton for listening. Hope you enjoyed and I have provided some new insight that you had not considered about the team. If you would like more Pacers musings and thoughts, you can follow me on Twitter at TEastNBA or this podcast at Lockdown Pacers to know when all the episodes come out and know the latest and greatest info 
about the team. Hope everybody had a great day. We'll see you tomorrow because tomorrow is the day that I will finally, finally divulge some of my trade thoughts for this upcoming trade season. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you then.